When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome to Fan Bites You Love to See It, a podcast styled after a delightful neighborhood video store where a pair of incredibly charismatic co-hosts and occasional guests rewatch old, old-ish movies and give them fresh takes. But like in a fun way, because we're not like every movie rewatch podcast, we're a cool movie rewatch podcast. Every month we pick a theme and every week we watch a movie and then we decide where it belongs in our store if it's witnessed to the Valhalla of our esteemed staff pick shelf, if it's got the goods to burn rubber in our better than mediocre middle aisle, or if it cannot hang with the doof warrior's bungee cord and instead finds itself doomed to our dreaded dumpster to be attended by the saddest war boys of all time. Working the counter today, we have yours truly, Danielle. Every movie should end with the lesbians taking over and creating a better society, Riendo. I know that's a long name, but it is my name. And my esteemed Imperator co-pilot, Fernanda, riding eternal, shiny and chromed Prachas. How are you today, Fernanda? I'm doing great. And I love that this is your nickname because we were literally talking about this, <laughs> how you suggest that, that that should be how every movie ends. And then yeah. you get proven right in such yep. a fashion. It's amazing. <laughs> I feel like we've come full circle with today's episode. I truly, like, it's really good when I have the amount of validation that I get when a movie this good <laughs> ends with my perfect ending for every movie of all time. Like, even if the, you know, if the nice motorcycle lesbians aren't in every movie, they should come into every movie and build a new society. And that's how life gets better. So, you know, I'm just saying. That's how we fix <laughs> Everything, literally. And plastic fish, but that's a whole And plastic other. fish. Maybe the desert, we don't really have that much use for them. But we'll, 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 inqu- we'll sure fold we- this idea into our... <laughs> we can fashion one from chrome, I feel like. A, a, a chrome <laughs> fish, we'll just throw it over overboard there. I, if you're not, if you don't, if you're not picking up what we're putting down, uh, you know, let me explain. This month, we are celebrating award season by doing the millennial thing and being salty about it while simultaneously upholding it by giving it the attention it needs to survive. Over the next few weeks, we're gonna watch movies featuring stars that we, the actual smart people whose opinions are objectively good and valid, believe have been snubbed by the overbearing and slightly intoxicated but glamorous in a decadent kind of way, mother of all mainstream awards, the Oscars. We shall then contemplate, deliberate, and inevitably come to the conclusion that we are correct and the Oscars are wrong because this is our show and we get to be right about stuff. 
The good news is that, hey, you get to be right with us. All you need to do is agree, uh, which shouldn't be difficult because we, again, are objectively right. So wipe those existentially weary eyes, crack that prematurely damaged smartphone neck, and go get ready to flex those misplaced outrage muscles in a month that shall now be referred to as Oscars? I don't know her month. Even though we obviously know her, we're just acting cool about it. And today, we're continuing our snubby explorations by turning once again to the post-apocalyptic desert with 2015's action epic, Mad Max Fury Road. It is by my hand! You arise! We are not things! We are not things! Taking them. I want them back. They're my property. Oh, what a day! What a lovely day! Mad Max Fury Road requires no other introduction to the series, despite being the fourth film in George Miller's bombastic version of life after a whole lot of nuclear explosions render most of civilization a moot point. It takes place in a blistering desert where warlords control territory and necessary resources, and you're basically dead if you don't have like a badass souped up vehicle. The warlord oppressing people in the city like Citadel is Immortan Joe, and he's a huge asshole, keeping the water supply to, you know, the people of the city limited and treating women as property, mainly to make babies that he turns into war boys, he sucks. Mad Max is just a guy trying to survive. Imperator Furiosa is a high-ranking official in Joe's army, and she's been selected for a special mission. Except she has plans of her own. Many fierce battles occur over startling desert landscapes. Desperate foes become uneasy allies, become partners in a search for redemption. And this is just some absolutely epic shit. So Fernanda, before we hit the road, what's your history with the movie? Uh, we talked a little bit about it when we did the um, Beyond Thunderdome episode, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. But yeah, this was my introduction to the Mad Max universe. And I watched it in the movies for the first time. And there are like, I can count on one hand the number of times I left the theater feeling like existentially rattled by a movie like <laughs> this was an experience and this was absolutely it i mean we'll touch on this because i'm sure we'll get into tom hardy and the tom hardiness uh of it all during the the shooting of the movie which is not necessarily a good thing but we'll get to it um but he i'm obsessed with tom hardy i think he's like the most gorgeous talented man to ever walk the earth um <laughs> Sorry, husband, but he, husband, you're a second place, a close second. So it's like pretty fucking good, honestly. Um, yeah. And I love Shirley Theron. And, you know, it's like an action movie with desert, whatever. I was like, you know what? I'm sure I'm going to like this. But it truly exceeded my expectations. And then some. I just remember, like, it's such a juicy movie. It's just. Every little bit of it is just, I, I don't know, deliberate, intentional. It's, I don't know. I just remember leaving the theater and being like, this was one of like the coolest movies I've ever seen in my entire life. 
no exaggeration. Um, I rewatched it uh, sort of recently when I got here to Mexico because uh, my husband is also a very massive fan of the movie. Yeah. And I will admit when when we uh, picked this one for this month's snub theme, which uh, we geared mostly towards Charlize Theron, but I think there's a lot there's a lot more snubbing going on here, um, yeah. which <laughs> I'm sure we'll get into. Uh, but like, I just I was kind of like, ah, do I want to watch it again? I've rewatched it recently, and I was a little like kind of not really paying that much attention within the first 15 minutes, and then the minute I just committed to like dropping my phone and paying attention to the movie again, I was sucked right back in, which is such a testament to just how immersive and engaging and just visually um, appealing this movie is. Because I, as I've said before, I'm not a fan of watching things multiple times, but the third watch of this was like almost as cool as the first because I had more information on how it was made and I was in for the entire ride. So that's my history with it. I'm a massive, massive fan. I just think it's so freaking cool. And I am just prefacing, I'm just saying this right away as we dig into the discussion because I am biased as fuck. I just (laughs) love it so much. Yeah. I don't blame you at all. I... I was actually also afraid to watch it again, uh, personally. So I have had only seen it once before, and it was right before it was released. I was lucky enough, way back when I lived in San Francisco, I did a lot of uh, movie reviews and like mm-hmm. pre-release screenings, and I was lucky enough to go to one of those for this. Mm-hmm. And my crowd at the movie theater was all like Mad Max cosplayers. Like people were just in the most amazing fucking <laughs> outfits. Amazing. Like it was so good. And they were so enthusiastic and they were so into it. And I had never seen a Mad Max movie before that. So that was my my baptism by chrome and fire into this entire universe was watching that movie in the most perfect atmosphere. And this time around, I was like afraid. I was like afraid to watch it again. I was like, nothing could live yep. up to that. That's perfect. However, the movie is so fucking good that it, it, watching it again is just rewarding in its own way. <laughs> so I ended up really, really enjoying it again. I'm so glad that the movie held up for me. Uh, it's really like, yeah, it's, whew, it's, it's a special one. It is, I think you can say like an action masterpiece, to be honest with you. And, yeah, uh, a masterpiece period, hard. right? But definitely a, an action masterpiece. Yeah, masterpiece period and action masterpiece. It's both. It can be both. Why can't it be both? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Considering awesome. action is objectively the best genre. Uh, I will say this, though. <laughs> well, I, too, had a past in which I wrote reviews and I had, uh, like, access to pre-screeners and stuff. Oh, yeah. So I was uh, fortunate enough to catch uh, Justin Bieber's Never Say Never in oh a pre-screen. <laughs> oh, so, my you know, God. So, you know, we're both very fortunate uh, individuals. Uh, not to brag. Not to brag, you know, but I did watch Justin Bieber's whole ass movie at 10 a.m. Um, on like a Tuesday. So oh, a glamorous wow. life. Glamorous wow, past I love life. that. I love this for <laughs> both of us. I love this for both of us so much. It's perfect, honestly. Now, a brief warning, dear friends. Before we bust out the chrome paint and prepare to enter Valhalla, we're about to enter our stripping it down section. So beware, unenlightened listeners. Uh, We're going to have a spoilery section. But first, a quick word from our sponsors. 
here we are in the stripping it down section. This is the part of the episode where we discuss the details of the film, including specific aspects of plot and characters, otherwise known as spoilers. So beware, eh, wary traveler, before entering this section. We're going to really talk about all of it. So Fernanda, something I want to talk to you about certainly uh, is the the sort of the beginning of the movie. So we, mm-hmm. I, it sounds like we both had a similar experience where like the very beginning, it's good, it's well made. There's not, there's no crappy bits of this movie, I don't think. But the beginning is a little bit of hey, just throwing you into this universe, and hey, stuff is just kind of happening, and you don't really know the characters or feel them super, 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 you know, close to them yet. So I was. It took me a little while to get drawn in this time, for sure. And it mm-hmm. sounds like you maybe had a similar experience with that. Yeah, I don't know if it was more my having already seen the movie a few times and being kind of like, yeah. Ugh, you know? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this time I was a little distracted up until things really kicked into gear. But like rationally, I really like it. And I also understood when I was watching, we when we watched the Thunderdome one and it all felt very like loose ended and mm-hmm. I was reading about it and apparently that's the thing with Mad Max right like they don't answer too many questions yeah and I I like and 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 that to me also is a testament of how good this movie is because it yeah. builds an entire universe on a very specific segment of time right we don't get elaborate explanations uh, necessarily about Furiosa. We get a snippet of her past. Uh, Mad Max, obviously, Max uh, is the character that we know from the previous movies, but having not watched any of the previous movies, I still understood kind of who he was just by that. And uh, we don't know about the wives' previous uh, lives. We don't know a lot about any of that, right? It really just thrusts you in it. And I think at first you're kind of like, what is even happening? Like, I don't really understand what's going on. Um, And it's very high paced off the bat. Um, He beats a lizard within like a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Right away. (laughs) You're just like really being set into like a whole a whole thing there. He eats Uh, a wizard, becomes a blood bag. There's shit going on. (laughs) Somebody's mad. Somebody's having a chase. There's like all these like very pasty guys. They're just real pasty. And it's like, okay, here we go. Okay, I guess I just never saw the previous movies. Let's just do this. (laughs) As Paul said, uh, somebody's mad, somebody's mad. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And that's all you need to know about this. Uh, Even the war boys are like, do they have like cancer or something? Because that's kind of what I inferred from uh, Nux's tumors. But also- yeah, we don't really get any. I mean, is they're that all more like, in Joe's kids, right? They have whatever he has, I guess. I That's know, what like, I thought, but I don't know. It, I don't know what they bred to like be sick so that they don't like want to live a long life and are very willing to die for. I don't know. Uh, yeah. But I think that the way the one of the like really strokes of genius is that you don't really get any of that. And still just from that really specific segment of action, <laughs> you kind of feel like you're in that universe yeah. and that you understand yeah. that universe and those characters. So yeah. yeah, I, I too like maybe didn't particularly uh, get sucked in right away with the be- with the, the beginning, this, this third time I watched it, but I, I, I can't really tell how much of it was just me being a little, <laughs> You know, <laughs> that's 
are so being fair. like, okay, where yeah. is Furiosa? Like, <laughs> right, right. I know Furiosa is going to be here. Like the first time I was like, I don't know Furiosa yet. I'm not attached to her. <laughs> and right, this time it's right, like, right, right. okay, let's get to the part where I get to just feast on Charlize Theron being Furiosa. So I don't know. Right. Is it Theron or is it Theron? I might be saying it wrong. I don't even know. I don't know if it's Imperator or Imperator either. So like it's we're doing great. We're doing okay. <laughs> we're doing this okay. This is democratic. Listen, we somebody's mad. Somebody's all pronunciations. <laughs> also, everyone has a really goofy name in this movie, mm-hmm. and it's awesome. There's the Doof Warrior. There's the like. I mean, I guess Immortan Joe. Are the the motorcycle lesbians are called the Volvalina. Volvalina. Like, it's, it's, really, it's real fucking it's good. Amazing. Like. It's fantastic. So it's very, you know, this is what we're working with. We're working with like a comic book style universe, uh, yeah. you know, very over the top. It's it's not a subtle universe, but we have these really subtle and really, really heartfelt portrayals of characters living mm-hmm. in this very bombastic, very, very over the top kind of universe where there are a lot of explosions and there are a lot of things going on. There's a lot of fighting, but the plot is dead simple. There, it There's, you know, a chase and there's a middle section and there's another chase. That's kind yeah. of what's going on. There's a lot of fighting. There's a lot of this. There's a lot of that. And getting to know the reasons for everyone kind of doing the chase or getting away and then coming back and reclaiming the land is like, mm-hmm. again, very simple, but very, 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 very well done and very elaborately framed and staged. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like working on two levels here in terms of the actual, um, not just the filmmaking, but the plotting of like, mm-hmm. You know, you could explain what happens in this movie in like three sentences. However, to explain what really happens emotionally in this movie, you need several books, right? It's it's one of those. Um, and that's very, very satisfying, I think. And for me, like while the intro doesn't, you know, completely grip me. I, and again, it's not a complaint. It's not that I think it sucks. I think it's a good introduction. It's fun and it's fast paced and it throws a lot at you to kind of, you know, keep you interested and keep you uh, from, you know, turning off whatever, turning off whatever device the movie's playing on. But once we kind of get to the budding bromance, and I do think it's like one of the most beautiful bromances between a man and a woman uh, in all time of cinema, uh, between Furiosa and Max, two very like damaged people who actually begin to care about something and actually kind of build a little team and actually like trust one another and learn to trust one another. Who understand that we have a tough time trusting other people. But yeah. and that to me, the perfect scene of that is when um, Max has just like a couple of shots left on uh, the big gun mm-hmm. and he kind of understands that Furiosa is a better shot. So yeah. he just volunteers his shoulder for her to aim and shoot. To yeah. me, that little snippet was just such a like perfect little capsule of their whole relationship and their dynamics yeah. and uh, of what you said. These are two people who understandably uh, don't really trust others because how quick, how can you trust people in this post-apocalyptic, you know, many men survivor based universe yeah. Um and that, you know, they ha- they learn how to trust each other. It's beautiful. And it's more beautiful yeah. knowing that they truly fucking hated each other in real life. <laughs> <laughs> While they were filming. Yeah, it's wild it's to read that. It's so wild to, to hear about that because, so again, I, you know, I watched the movie with no context before that. And of course, there was discourse after it, which we'll get to. Uh, 
but I never actually read much about the making of the movie other than sort of like props and vehicles and things like that and noting yeah. that so much of it was practical, which mm-hmm. blew it's me away. mind-blowing. Like mind-blowing. learning how much was a pra- – they shot everything. Mm-hmm. They, they used real vehicles. They have an armory department and a vehicle department on this movie. Like there are entire departments in those credits that don't exist in 99% of movies. It's <laughs> and that's what's really, so good. Truly amazing. Like uh, – Really, really, really incredible piece of filmmaking uh, from every point of view. And typically you don't get both the intimate, the personal, the subtle, Mm -hmm. which you do here. And then also like the most fucking incredible fight choreography ever filmed. Like you don't usually get both of those things. Usually you get your chocolate, you get your peanut butter. You don't get both of them in one movie. And this movie, I think, is astounding because of that. Because you get both. Uh, I'm, I'm like failing for words here because I'm so impressed by it. Uh, but it's also incredibly entertaining. It's also something I'm incredibly entertained by and incredibly struck by and incredibly into the whole time. And also so impressed as someone who appreciates filmmaking, just sitting there like, I'm so impressed. Also, I really care. Oh, I'm so impressed. Also, I really care. (laughs) It's wild because we're so used to the CGI stuff, right? Um, Oh, yeah. And so when we see, and that to me is the difference. We've talked about this several times before, but like, I will always choose the practical effects, obviously, Same. but you. I also understand yeah. why it's so much harder. I don't, like, I was reading, um, and I cannot recommend this enough. I know I'm always reading oral histories. I know we've established oh, it's, it's my kink. But the New York Times <laughs> oral history written by Kyle Buchanan, who went on to write a book uh, about the making of the movie. So that's how oh, I know it's freaking good. It's. I think it's what really... I think it was probably the first oral history that I was like blown away by and really kicked off my addiction. So thank you, Kyle, for this. Uh, He was my gateway drug to the world of movie oral histories. But um, and it's amazing. It's really detailed. And uh, there's he quotes a little bit early on another quote by Steven Soderbergh in another interview and Soderbergh. uh, And I'm going to read exactly what he said i just watched mad max fury road against last week and i tell you i couldn't direct 30 seconds of that i'd put a gun in my mouth i don't understand how george miller does that i really don't and it's my job to understand it i don't understand two things i don't understand how they're still not shooting that film and i don't understand how hundreds of people aren't dead and that is my question too i felt kind of like when i'm watching the winter olympics how is Everybody not dead. I don't comprehend it. I don't understand how you can go down like a luge slope or whatever the fuck that's called and not die. I cannot understand how you shoot this movie and people don't die a bunch. And of course, by having the proper teams and having a lot of care uh, with the visuals and obviously, but more than that with security and the stunt people. And there is a sort of quote by uh, Tom Hardy in this oral history talking about that how like diligent um, they were about this aspect of filming, of course, when you have to be when you're shooting a movie like this. But it's still, it's so mind-blowing. And reading about the process of the movie, I think really made me appreciate it more and wanted to win all the awards. Because first of all, it took basically two decades to make. Because the first storyboard, uh, the first storyboards of the movie are from like 98 like Kyle, yeah, wow, yeah. it's wild. Ninety eight, and the movie was supposed to be uh, was originally scheduled to start shooting in two thousand and three, 
um, wow. in Namibia. And which it ended up being in Namibia, but it was Namibia, then Australia, then back to Namibia because of weather yeah. uh, issues. And it was going to be Mel Gibson again uh, oh back God. then. It's yeah. really, and, and to think about, and I will read a little snippet uh, of that too, because it's amazing. It's also in the uh, oral history um well, it's in the oral history, the New York Times version, because yeah. <laughs> as Kyle said, the uh, the New York Times lawyers were more confident than the book lawyers. But, yeah. <laughs> wow. but uh, yeah, they 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 were going to do this and it fell through and it, the bunch of things went wrong. And then when they finally were able to move forward with it in Australia, then this like kind of once in a lifetime weather situation happens, they waited out a year. It still is a no go. So they go back to Namibia and they carrying all these cars and everything else to the desert in Namibia. And they're shooting for nine months in these like, terrible conditions because it's yeah. one thing when you're shooting in a big city or something right like it's quite another when you're just there this entire time like how right. stressful must that have been for the actors and you have uh, main actors who are not getting along and then you have tom hardy also not getting along with george miller apparently it was very contentious and Ugh. tom hardy apologized after seeing the entire movie he was kind of like oh, i didn't realize you were doing something this good like my bad <laughs> 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 it's just such an achievement to yeah. consider it, you know, how this this director and I was also listening to a podcast with Kyle Buchanan talking to the uh, distractor is the name of the podcast. Kyle talking about the book and the interviews he made because he talked to almost everyone. And, you know, something they talked about a lot and that I really agree with is just how it's impressive that a person was this committed to his vision because, Imagine this, like they didn't even have a screenplay. It was all storyboards. Half wow. of the time, these people had no idea what they were even shooting. How much doubt was probably around George Miller even being able to complete this movie and to be like, no, no, this is my vision. This is what I'm going to do. I have faith that this is going to work out in the end and then like come away with this. To me, it's just, ugh. I'm like how I I aspire to be this I I could never I just don't have the genes to be this confident but imagine <laughs> this creatively sure of yourself that you're able yeah. to pull off something like this and then I'm just upset that George Miller didn't win directing and that this didn't win best oh. best movie like yeah a hundred percent a hundred percent I have a couple of points there I definitely want to like pick up on as well mm -hmm. but first first and foremost I want to pick up on your point about like how did George Miller not win for directing how did John Seal not win for best cinematography like truly truly how do you not win for best cinematography when you are shooting this degree of spectacle with this degree of confidence with this degree of fantasy involved yeah. like this is not like a thing that happens oh you you know you pick a good lens you shoot it you know you frame it in an interesting way you light it you shoot it it's like no this is creating a fantasia for the soul and you didn't fucking oh, I'm upset but and I also want to pick up on one best movie spotlight honestly which is a fine yeah. movie it's a yeah. fine movie. Do you remember? Yeah. I, I remember the story because it's a real life thing and it's very like sad and very scandalous. Upsetting. And, yeah, it's very and upsetting. upsetting. Yeah. yeah. But like, I don't remember any of the movie. It's a fine movie that looks like a lot of other movies we had seen before. While yeah. this is like, 
spotlight i'm gonna let you finish but (laughs) (laughs) but george miller accomplished one of the best movies of all time and looking back on it it's just very upsetting and director was inyaritu for the revenant which i get it again sort of and still like after understanding all that went into this i'm kind of like ah yeah god damn it there's another aspect of this, especially, which is something you were hitting on, which is the all these just incredible factors, and it's not a disaster. Like, I want there to be a special category. Like, it's, it's like, this is kind of like, it's yeah, not the exact same thing. I can't believe you pulled it off category. I can't believe you fucking pulled this off category. Like, honest to God, I want that to be a real category because that impresses me beyond everything. Like, knowing yeah. a little bit of what goes into making a film, like, just, oh my God. This is almost a little bit like if Yodorowsky's Dune were made, right? And actually was good. Like that level of feat of creative Mm -hmm. enterprise pulling in like incredible creative people from all different sort of fields. From here, thinking about production design and cinematography especially, but also, you know, the stars and making that work and making the acting as good as it is despite Mm -hmm. difficulties. All of the things that need to come together and they had all these weather conditions and they had all these wild travel restrictions and all this absolutely batshit stuff that they had to do to make this vision of this movie. Like, yeah. I want there to be that category. And also, I want there to be Yodorowsky's Dune. And also, I'm very happy the alien happened because Yodorowsky's Dune didn't happen. But still, like, the factor of we pulled this off through dedication and, you know, obviously hard work, but dedication, hard work creative vision, talent, like all of these these traits had to come together to make this what it is. And that's wild. And again, fuck it's the really Oscars wild. because yeah. this is something incredible. Spotlight um, winning. I, I, in Arito, like, I'll forgive it, but... <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, I, I get that. That I'm I get, kind you of know. Free. But I think also yeah. Fury Road is one of the movies that ages like a fine wine. I think it's one of yeah. those things that we don't really appreciate as they happen. And then, though it was appreciated, it was nominated for like eight Oscars, and it won. Uh, I think, I think it won six. It just didn't win like the big ones. Um, yeah. But that you kind of like look back on it and you understand how important it was at that place. Like maybe it doesn't hit you right away, and then over the years, it kind of like wow, that was kind of like the shit. <laughs> I yeah. think it also has a little element of that. Can I, before we move on, just read the, the little piece I alluded Please. to uh, yes. about Mel Gibson, uh, specifically Mel Gibson's wife. Oh my God, when yeah. they were <laughs> Oh my God, this is were, wild. When they were first <laughs> set to uh, film it. Um, Colin Gibson, the production designer, and this is as uh, how he's quoted in the oral history. I was in Namibia in 2003 when I got the call to stop spending money. Like they had started like setting things up. I don't know whether the studio decided to reroute their money back to the Iraq war or if it was the email I got from Mel Gibson's wife asking me how many Muslims there may or may not be in Namibia. And therefore... How interested she may or may not be in the whole family coming to visit. Oh, my Christ. Yeah. Yeah. And then, <laughs> like I said, well. Kyle said that they took it out of the book, but uh, kept it on in the. I in mean, the it tells you something. It sure. It paints a picture. It paints a picture. You know? uh, I think it's just so many like interesting little anecdotes. And also Eminem was 
at one point right. okay this, about this is a this is a less racist uh anecdote <laughs> but like it's it a much more fun one yeah. yeah yeah go for it it's still somewhat problematic uh, but yeah, like there's a quote from George Miller saying that they, Kyle Buchanan, the uh, oral history writer, says that he saw a storyboard in which they had still Eminem, uh, like an idea of Eminem <laughs> in it. But apparently, yeah, the whole thing was that Eminem was not willing. He was like in a career sort of uh, resurgent and like taking care of his kids and whatever and didn't want to be away from home. So it's kind of like, come to Michigan and I'll do it. Come to, <laughs> come to Michigan <laughs> and shoot a fucking movie about a desert. Like, what? Eminem. Like, Eminem. I get it. Like, you don't want to be in Namibia for the desert and Namibia for nine months uh, doing very dangerous stunts. And okay. But uh, yeah, so that would have been, that's yet another uh, wild universe. And Zoe Kravitz said she did a chemistry test with uh, Jeremy Renner. So there's oh, that too. Oh my god! Can you even imagine? I can. Oh! I just had a visceral reaction. I just like <laughs> I made a face, like the bitter beer face, like ugh, like Jeremy, Jeremy Renner. Oh, uh, I'm not a fan of Mr. Renner. I'm sorry. Really? Just, okay. Not a fan. Not a fan. Not a fan. I just I I called him the ugh. generic Jared Butler for the longest time. But then I saw he was in uh, 28 weeks later and I forgave him. Yeah, I've, he's he kind of sucks. I didn't remember that. He's kind <laughs> of a sucky guy. This, I understand it. Listen, I'm not an expert, but he's he's like said some some bad shit. I feel he like. has. And, oh, that I didn't. Yeah. Know. Yeah. No, it's okay. I mean, I just Jeremy Renner. Ugh. I it's he's, mm, yeah. <laughs> he's problematic. Well, Eminem is not exactly. Uh, Paragon. Oh, of- oh, I know, I know. <laughs> but, for some yeah. reason, it's like weirdly funny for me to picture Eminem in this role, and yeah. it didn't make me like hurl the way I thought <laughs> Jeremy Renner. I, I guess because it's more plausible on some level that like yeah. Jeremy Renner could have been in this movie in that You're point right. in his career. Whatever. It's, <laughs> this is neither here nor there, but I had like a full on like. <laughs> I felt it. I felt it. It's like <laughs> your body was reacting to my saying of the name Jeremy Renner. And so we encourage sorry. this on the show. But no, so I sorry. love it. Oh. I love it. Very organic. Uh, yeah, it's just an organic uh, homegrown podcast right here. I do want to talk uh, a little bit more about your feelings on Tom Hardy here and Charlize Theron and also their characters, because, mm-hmm. again, I didn't really know about the turmoil on set, um, yeah. but they have incredible bromance chemistry. Like for mm-hmm. me, one of the things I like so much about this movie, and yes, it's, I like the ending. I like the thesis that like, not just that like, oh, any woman would do better than any man kind of thing. It's more like, no, this specific woman and her specific group who have learned to work together will do better at running this society because they're, they've shown that they give a shit and there's a lot of ways they've shown that they give a shit and they have the chops to actually run things and be in charge, et cetera, et cetera. But it's also like this really nice uh, statement of like, oh, once you get rid of the hyper toxic masculinity, like people can be cool. That's like yep. Nux's whole yeah, he's uh, an incel. arc. That's his entire arc. He's an incel who like learns that like actually Immortan Joe's not God. And yeah. I I have to, I just have to like have a moment of how fucking funny it is that he fucking whiffs it in front of Immortan Joe. Like Immortan <laughs> Joe's just like mediocre. He's <laughs> <laughs> just so like fucking gonna whiffs it. <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's so good. And then it's like he's sad and he cries. And then it's like, actually, come to the crew, bro. We're going to teach you how to be useful 
and yeah. support women in like a way that's not gross and you get to have a hot redhead girlfriend and like yeah. life will be so much better for you dude like just come over here and be a team member don't be a dick be a team member and that's beautiful you know it is i it just is. think it's beautiful uh but also in terms of max really being like no it's it's furiosa and again it's much more through actions than words but it's things like you mentioned the shot um that he he just knows she's a better shot and noting that like the very end, he brings her out. Mm-hmm. Like they they dump the body of a Morton Joe to show, hey, we're we're in charge now. And then he like brings her out mm-hmm. and he's like, no, her. She's the one yeah. who did this. Like it's her. It's not me. I'm just because I'm a dude. And then he kind of makes his escape as she yeah. ascends. Like and it's like this whole thing of like, hey, it doesn't have to be about me. It could be about this person who did an amazing thing. And like, yeah. that's so fucking cool, especially in an action movie. Again, yeah. we don't always get like necessarily incredibly deep, subtle acting in mm-hmm. movies like this. We also don't always necessarily get, hey, not only is a woman, you know, able to be strong in a traditionally not feminine way, but yeah. she's also allowed to actually be the one. She's allowed to be the guy, you know, in, in a lot of ways, which is very cool. And uh, mm. I liked that. And I know there was a lot of discourse about it at the time. And I don't even want to wade into that. I think this ending is beautiful. And I think it's very strongly implied that it's a pretty good ending, actually. And I definitely do want, like, a very long-running sci-fi series about the society at the top there where they actually share things and they're cool to people and they've learned to be cool to people despite their past trauma. And, like, it's Furiosa, the wives, the motorcycle lesbians, and everybody's doing okay. And, like, it's difficult because, you know, you have a whole society to run now, but hey— that's interesting, too. So I want that sequel. Thank you very much. Uh, I like the we ending, are, but also I'd like a sequel. <laughs> we are getting a prequel uh, with Enya Taylor-Joy as Furiosa. Interesting. All right, I'll watch it. I'll, I'll give it a shot. Give it a shot. You know. Yeah, I like it. Even this. though I, I want to see the motorcycle lesbians rule the world, but okay. <laughs> okay, all right. You know, I feel like this is the movie you're supposed to make. George Miller it is, is like old. Bit. I don't know how old he is now, but like, you know, yeah. he's done a lot. Babe 2, Pig in the City. Right. Um, Happy Feet, <laughs> Mad Max. Such I just love that it's it's <laughs> Mad Max 1 through 3 and then several children's movies, yeah. which are great. And like, apparently, apparently deeply fucked up. John was telling me, John is in New York and, and we had dinner last night uh, with, with a few team members. And like, he yeah. was talking about how like, it's like a deeply... <laughs> Deeply interesting and fucked up movie. So it, I'm kind of interested in watching that now. But Which one? Also, what a fucking legend. How do you go from Happy Feet 2 to Mad Max Fury Road? Range. Like, Range, dude. What a genius. Like, <laughs> fucking genius, dude. Like, and, uh, and opposite of the podcast That apparently when he, like, signed on, he, like, his commitment was to making, like, Mad Max during the day and Happy Feet during the night. Like. <laughs> he had a night job. <laughs> like it ended up not happening, uh, obviously because of the time. Sure. But sure. I don't understand exactly what happened if they signed off on it. But uh, on the same podcast that I was listening to, they mentioned something like that. So uh, imagine, imagine being able to multitask like this. Um, yeah. I mean, I too am t- two different people during the day and the night. But still, that's a bridge too far for right. me. Right, I mean, that's uh, fair. We were talking about Charlize and. First of all, uh, the Furiosa look apparently was also a big contribution from her because she was supposed to have this like really big hair and stuff. And uh, Charlize was like, I don't know how she's supposed to be doing all the stuff in the rig and everything. 
uh, with all right, that hair. Right. So like right. she was the one who pushed for a more androgynous look. And I love that for her. Oh, it's and, it's such a good look. It's it's honestly another reason to love this movie that mm-hmm. it's like so many truly great and awesome action movies that do have like awesome lady characters or mm-hmm. non-binary characters. Like still, they still have to be like real hot in a very traditional way. And yes. like, obviously Charlize Theron couldn't not be hot. Yeah, she's 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 hot in Monster. I don't even care. She's hot in everything that she's in. She is that hot. Hot take. She is like she is like the level of hot where you could be running around in a fucking garbage bag with pigeon poop on it and yeah. you still look fucking great. Like she's that level of hot. So I'm I'm just saying about the look itself being super yeah. androgynous. That's also really fucking awesome that she's able to to do this and not just her, but like this movie is doing this and saying like yeah, she's fucking awesome. I also love that they don't have a romance. They have a bromance. Yes. Like, it's a fucking bromance. Like, they look at each other with, like, love and affection, but it's not a give me a it's big kiss, respect, baby affection. Right? It's like, it's like high five, bro. Like, predator, <laughs> you know, predator handshake, bro. And I, I love that. That's fucking beautiful. It's like, you don't have to do the stupid Hollywood thing. You can actually yeah. do the thing that happens in real life all the time, which is that people can be friends and it doesn't matter what gender they yeah. are. They, they can, can like go through a very fucked up situation together and form yeah. like a bond and mutual respect that doesn't necessarily need to be romantic. Exactly. So I totally exactly. agree with you. One little, uh, I'll get into the Charlie stuff uh, in a second, Please, yeah. but the another snippet that I think really is a testament to what you said about how we get all this emotional depth from moments and situations where we don't necessarily would expect to like the wives, um, George Miller had the playwright for the vagina monologues. Eve Ensler. Eve Ensler. Oh my God. Yeah. She was working with like uh, Congolese survivors of gender violence, um, as they said on the oral history. And he got her, to like give feedback on the script and to go to Namibia and spend time with the wives, uh, quote unquote, in the workshops to kind of like be able to understand where their roles were coming from. So even if you don't have necessarily an explanation or graphic details of what they were being subjected to, though we all can imagine, we get that emotional depth because they knew where their characters were coming from. Like it's oh, that kind of like thing to me that makes it so brilliant. And for Charlize Theron, like to me, what makes it, it, it just makes it more impressive that a, apparently they were all very lost in the, in the filming process. Cause again, they didn't have like <laughs> even a screenplay and it was just like storyboards and it's kind of like, just do this, stand here, press this. So sure. it must be really hard for an actor to just have to like fully trust that director's vision and not really have a lot to kind of like fall back on. So she had to deal with all of that. Uh, again, the filming conditions that we were saying, it must be hard. And then her relationship with Tom Hardy, which, yeah, apparently was terrible. Uh, she told this uh, Kyle Buchanan, she told them something about how like at one point she wasn't really feeling safe um in the in the that environment apparently what kyle says that he heard that there was like some escalation in a fight scene a fight choreography scene um and that it really came to sort of like a boil when one day when uh, Tom was like really late tom look at me first name basis you know tom yeah tommy boy (laughs) yeah 
uh, intimately, I know Tom really well in my metaphorical universe in which <laughs> we're not married because apparently he can be a bit of a jackass. But yeah, uh, sounds like, where we yeah. do. We have had lots of uh, wild, filthy sex. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because my husband, we were talking, uh, we're talking about it because he was the one telling me he's looking at me right now. Very inquisitive. <laughs> Because uh, he was like, apparently Tom Hardy's a jackass. Did you hear? He was the one who showed me the podcast. Did you hear that, that Tom Hardy was like terrible during shooting and that he sucks and that apparently like he's just a contentious person to work with and whatever. And I'm like, dude, I'm not I'm, I'm not saying I want to marry him. OK, we're married. I love it. I'm saying I would have liked to have had like filthy sex with him, which Absolutely. I've had had sex with guys who were not only jackasses, but also ugly and untalented <laughs> so like, <laughs> hardy would have been a step up um, you know but <laughs> i get it i get it listen who's amongst us okay <laughs> i'm so obsessed with tom i think he's like the most beautiful like human on the planet it's it's truly upsetting how much i'm in love with him but changing the subject oh, great. yeah apparently he has like sort of a contentious already personality like um probably thinks he can get away with anything because he can probably get away with a lot. But yeah, so he was extremely late and apparently Charlize was in the war rig in full costume, just oh, waiting. Wow. And yeah. people were like, you can come out, like, we'll go eat something. Like, you don't need to be there. And this is what's, what Kyle was saying in the podcast. Uh, but she stayed in the rig to, like, prove a point. <laughs> to be like... Yeah. Fuck you, Tom Hardy. You're making me wait for a thousand years. I want to think she like peed on his seat or something. Like she did like a <laughs> tiny pee on his seat. Like, fuck you, dude. Here you go. <laughs> he he to the things about her not feeling safe. Apparently, he also told Kyle for the book, this is not in the oral history, uh, that like he doesn't know why. Uh, she would think he was intimidating or stuff. And that, that part was bollocks. But he did mm. admit in the oral history, both of them, to kind of like how they could have handled uh, the situation and their dynamics uh, a little better. So who knows what exactly happened? I tend to sure. side with the lady uh, mm -hmm. in these situations, especially a lady who is known to be like a very by-the-books professional. Um yeah, but yeah, absolutely. Was a, this is all to me just a much bigger testament to the kind of work that Shirley Saron did with this. Of course, Tom Hardy did an amazing job. He's a, like an incredibly talented actor. There's no denying that. But like she dealing with all that, having to navigate like these volatile conditions that you don't necessarily understand and still being able while doing these crazy stunts and being put in these. Of course, they had stunt doubles, but like still... Yeah, yeah. It's physically demanding to do something like this when you're shooting on location and exposed to the elements and whatever and doing all that and still delivering such like an emotionally nuanced performance. It's wild to me. It's just it's yeah. just so shows so much not just talent but also dedication to the craft and the fact that she didn't even get a nomination. It's not it's surprising considering the type of movie and how it's usually overlooked, but yeah. Yeah. It's still it's still really fucked up. And it really is like that was that was something that struck me almost the most this time mm -hmm. watching it was how good the performances were yeah, right. and how real the chemistry felt, not just between the two of them, but also between her and 
the motorcycle lesbians. Sorry, they they have a name, and it's even funnier <laughs> than Volvo motorcycle Lini? lesbians. So, like the Volvolina, like okay, wait, you know where they're going with this. I also do want to do a shout out uh, to Melissa Jaffer, who was the seed motorcycle Aww. lesbian, the one who dies very dramatically, but also she gets her shot, you know, at the bad guys yeah. too, which is very cool. Uh, who's in my favorite show of all time, Farscape? Uh, she's an Australian actress. There were a lot of Australian uh, performers in this movie, and she's yeah. really great. And I think she did her own stunts. That's she amazing. did at least some of her own stunts. I don't want to speak completely out of turn, but it, like there was a really cool piece about her in the movie at the time, and I was very impressed. Um, but also the chemistry among the wives who don't have a ton of lines, yeah. right? It's not like we we spend plenty of time with them. We spend, you know, kind of the middle third of the movie is like the most deep and interesting kind of third, I guess. Uh -huh. It's not that there's only plot development or character development in one you know section of the movie, but very broadly, there's going out, and there's while they're going out as part of the middle and there's coming back, right? There's the, yeah. <laughs> like, there really are kind of like very delineated sort of sections uh, of the film. And we get to know these people as they're kind of going out, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and we really get to know them and fall, I think, completely in love with them and their struggle yeah. as they're out there, you know, out in the middle of where they wanted to be the green place, out in the middle mm -hmm. of the sort of uh, other part of the desert. And they, by the time they come in, we're very sad for their losses and very happy for their triumphs. And again, simple, pretty simple, I, almost like a Western in its simplicity, to be honest. Yeah. And I think George Miller has said something to that extent. Not that, oh, I have made a Western, but like, oh, you know, the plot itself, the plot structure itself is fairly, you know, like a Western, like a classic, uh, you know, Western, uh, where there's like a simple thing happening, a simple conflict happening, but the movie is not necessarily simple in itself, but the actual sort of uh, the broad strokes of the thing happening is, is yeah. fairly simple. Um, but yeah, I, I genuinely love the chemistry among all of these people, yeah. like this, like ragtag bunch of people drawn together by, you know, some of it was just fate and some of it was just an accident. And some of it was like a very, very real drive to save others and find redemption. And that's, again, that's real beautiful. It's real special. I don't know how you emote to that level and you do it subtly and you do all these little subtle actions and all these little subtle movements and the framing is so perfect for the subtlety as well. So again, we think of like these big stunts, we think of the war rigs, we think of all the vehicles. And honestly, we think of all the personality from the vehicles too. Like thinking about like just the decorations and all the weird things and the way that the different sort of tribes are even organized. There's like the motorcycle tribe, you know, and then there's the motorcycle lesbians who are very different and have different accoutrements and, and all this sort of stuff. So we're doing it with visual language. We're also doing it so well with the filmmaking itself. Like there's a yeah. lot of uh, sort of, I want to use the right term here, but like they manipulated the frame rate a ton at different points. Yeah. In, in not just the fight scenes, but also some of the like more mundane hey, scenes the beginning. just to make sure that you get every little bit of information that you need visually, even though you're being bombarded by lots of information, you get everything you need to really understand. You really understand, hey, there's a knife in the, um, in the knob, sorry. Shifter? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not like that much of a car person, but like in the shifter, there's a knife in there and you know it's coming back and you got that subtle little shot about like, ha -ha, yeah, there's a knife in there. You get, yes, shifter, sorry. <laughs> Paul's like, Paul, the, the genuine car person is like, yes, it's a yeah. shifter. shifter um, yeah. I can drive, I drive thing. an ambulance sometimes. It's just, you know, I, I'm like, the thing you think that does so. the thing, like, <laughs> the thing that does it. the shifting. Yeah, you know yeah. the thing with the knob. All right. Nice. <laughs> I, even like little moments and little, little things with props, like the way they, they sort of tie on a, a wrench to be, to be the wheel for a long time. Like there's so many bits and pieces of this that are just about survival and about 
uh, like hardship, basically, that, that speaks so, so much to the themes of the movie. And it's almost like on an atomic level, like every prop, every shot, every cut, Even every sound Mr. design Guitar decision, guy. every costume decision, every acting decision, every directing decision really like is working in tandem. And yeah. again, for me, that is so far beyond impressive, it's not even funny, because for any one of those things to be good, it's hard enough. Yeah. Right? For all of those things to be working really, truly in concert, that is like, that. I think that's what Steven Soderbergh is getting at when he's like, I could yeah. direct 30 seconds of this movie. Like, that, like this atomic level of all of it is kind of singing together. Yeah. Uh, to another, work. Uh, I'm sorry, to, to, just another little Please, anecdote to that sort it. of like, yeah obsessive attention to the smallest thing. <laughs> yeah. You have the the guitar guy, right? Like in the... Oh, the, the doof warrior. The doof warrior. Which is yeah. amazing, Great. by the way. That character... <laughs> how do you go like, okay, this is all good and well, but I need a dude playing a guitar that also <laughs> has fire coming out of it. How do you even... But also on the podcast, Kyle was saying that Apparently they made this whole guitar and the guitar was like, you had to have real life fire, like instead of just doing CGI, like oh, George Miller wanted wow, actual yeah. fire. So the whole yep. thing is built, it's made. And then George Miller is like, okay, but can it play music? And oh to, my God. Yeah. And then he also said that the guy was playing music as like, not just nice. during the movie, but like he was playing riffs when people, riffs when people like were starting their day to kind of like put people in that desert. You need to listen to the podcast. The I do. Dear listener to, uh, of course, you, Danielle, but you too. I'm going to, we're going to probably have the links on, on, um, at least on our uh, Discord channel or something. But yeah, it's the distractor. And oh, I am now dying to read the book because you, if this, like, in 30 minutes of information, I'm in this much awe, I need to read a whole book about how this movie was made. But yeah, like, Honestly. I don't want this guitar to be just a prop. I want it to actually play music. It's amazing. It's wild. And it makes such a difference. It, cre- it adds, like, such a weird little cheeky tone to the movie that you're kind of like, how did, how did anybody even freaking think of that? I don't know if it was... Wait really George Miller's idea for the character, but it's like that if he came up with everything, but it's just like, to me, just such a little stroke of genius. And like I said, a testament to this kind of like, I feel like there's not a wasted shot. That's kind of like how I feel about yeah. it, right? Like there's always yeah. something for you to kind of like chew on or delight on. And that is such an achievement. The more I think about it, the more I'm like, like you kind of like at a loss for words at just how much of an achievement <laughs> this is. And I just think it's going to be one of those movies that we're going to remember very fondly uh, for a long time. And I wanted to shout out Nicholas Holt since we mentioned. uh, Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Real quick. Because obviously Charlize, amazing, perfect. We've established. Uh, Tom Hardy, also just such a fucking talented actor. Much better than Jeremy Renner. We've also established. Oh my God, by so much. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. I'm sorry I said his name yeah. again. The, he who shall not be named. <laughs> <laughs> the fake Jared Butler. Uh, Jeremy <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think that Nux, uh, Nicholas Holt ended up getting a little bit lost in the shuffle, understandably, because he's like next to all these. I mean, I didn't even remember Zoe Kravitz was in the movie. Like that's. I know, and she's good 
too. And like that's the other thing. thing. Yeah. I'm like, oh my god, she's amazing. She's just such a good character. And I'm like, I had completely forgotten. That's how good this movie is. But her, her shining so moment good. of spitting on the face that is no longer there. Perfection. Beautiful. Actual Beautiful. perfection. That shot. Perfection. Perfection. Sorry, just please go amazing. on. But give give Nicholas his, his props. No, it was just like he's such a such a. He's also got range. That kid from yeah. about a boy, from being the kid with the weird haircut and about a boy, to skins, <laughs> to this, amazing, a, beautiful. We praise you, Nicholas. What a journey. What a turn. But I really like his character too. Like as we were talking about Nux and how he is very much the stereotypical incel and he lives in that sort of reddit universe in which that's how he understands his life to be and that's how he understands like manhood to be right and being a warrior he has this very like warped vision and then the minute he gets a little bit of affection and empathy granted by a hot redhead but (laughs) yeah that helps uh but like the minute he's like treated as a human for a second, he's like, oh, no, I don't. I, I've turned. I'll hang with you guys. I'm cool. Yeah. Isn't yeah. that isn't that the picture of inseldom? Yeah, it, it's a picture of like, get rid of the toxic masculinity and you can be cool, too, bro. Like, just get rid <laughs> of that aspect. Like, just get rid of like fucking get rid of that. And you, too, can be awesome. Now, he would have had a place. In the in the motorcycle lesbians utopian vision, he yeah. would have been welcome there because everyone's welcome there. They let people up at the end again, like how those tiny little elements, the little visual mm-hmm. elements of like how how we see that these people will be better than the bad dudes. It's like because they let people up, they let people up. Like come on up, let's have some plants. You know, it'll be delicious. Like it'll be <laughs> just, great. <laughs> we'll have some, plant some seeds. Have some we'll water. Some seeds. Just you know, like it'll be great. stop following like in Morton Jordan Peterson. I don't. <laughs> you're gonna yeah, oh my god, in Morton Jordan Peterson. Well, I'm sorry. no, that was perfect. That was actually per- that's exactly who it is. Don't follow a Morton Jordan Peterson. <laughs> follow the cool motorcycle lesbians who are like cottage core at their heart and just want to be cottage core and have a beautiful world where everybody gets to eat, oh, yeah. you know, nice plants and drink water. Like, and it's nobody's like, property. That's the other thing. Like, this movie is actually also exactly, sort of about right? treating women as property. Like, that's a yeah. very, very, it's in the text. Like, he, or Morton yeah. Joe says, that's my property. He doesn't even care about uh, these these people, these these hot wives that he has. Like, he's just, that's it. Women are just property there. And, like, yeah. even even the, the, the milking mothers, I don't know what their names are, even they have, like, their moment in the sun where they're letting out the water at the end. Yeah. Like, all, all people, like, people and women are just being people and taking over and you don't need to be warlike and have a shitty tribe but you know that they can fight to pr- mm-hmm. you know pr- to protect their little city if they need to against the other shitty tribes even though everybody else is kind of dead i mean i guess a lot of the motorcycle people are still around like the uh the There's folks some. who like have the territory in the canyon most of them yeah. are still alive so and they you know, they have the inspiration fine. of the uh, older dead motorcycle seed lady who yes. shall live forever in our hearts in seats. and minds. <laughs> uh, yeah. it, it is very interesting, like the way that it's really about showing that echo chamber, right? And then like the minute yeah. one of them steps is taken out of the echo chamber and stops getting that feedback from that like toxic environment, 
he realizes how toxic it was. Like it's it's a heavy-handed metaphor, but I still think it's so valid. And even yeah. and I, rem- I I had totally forgotten that scene where uh, the um, splendid I forgot her other name dies. Uh, Rose yes. Huntington Whiteley, I think that's her okay. real life name. Uh, okay. Mrs. Statham, I don't know. She was with Jason Statham for a long time. I don't know if they're together. Oh, I see. Anymore. I see. I see. Gotcha. So. Lucky lady and lucky stay them. Good on you. That's a good looking couple. Encouraging yeah. you to stay good there and job. be good looking. Good job. Good yeah. job on both good of job. you. But um, <laughs> when she dies, and it's a very graphic scene, and it's so sad because it's followed by her narrowly escaping, and then like Max yeah. slash Tom Hardy gives that like timid little the thumbs, thumbs up, up that is so cool, and you're like, oh, that's such a nice scene. Like she's not as fragile as we thought, and then she but she's tough. Gets sucked yeah. under the wheels and then she is kept alive so that they can take the baby out and then like the way the guy just cuts and you don't see yeah. anything right like they don't show the the, the baby and they don't show gore but he, they do yeah. show the umbilical cord and the way that the guy talks about it like ah that's a shame another month and maybe you had a viable like human or yeah. whatever it's such a strong and graphic and sort of heart-wrenching scene that really speaks to the way that they really see women and 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 you know the way that the dehumanization of all of it just very like again a a short scene that i kind of had forgotten about and then rewatching it i was like ah that's very impactful just another like just very strong choice extremely extremely it's like even the fact that that character is named the organic mechanic, like it's not a doctor, it's an organic mechanic. Organic just to mechanic. Fi- just yep. you fix the machine kind of thing. It's not a person. It's like a machine to to fix or whatever, to just make a baby with. Like it's very, yeah, it's very, very impactful. I completely agree. And another very strong choice. And frankly, I think we could talk about this movie for like yeah. six hours. I, I know we can't. I, I did want to just <laughs> mention... We're we're absolutely. I consider this a snub because it should have gotten best picture and best director, best actor, and best actress. I will say it was nominated for best picture and best director, and it did yeah. win for best costume design. Good call. Best production mm-hmm. design, very good call. Best makeup and hairstyling, of course. Best film editing, also a good one. Uh, best sound mm-hmm. editing and best sound mixing. So it did win some of the technical awards and some of the artistic. Uh, awards for production, which is like, yeah. good, good job. So just in case somebody's <laughs> mad and saying like, why'd you snub it? It won a bunch of Oscars. It's like, yeah, it did. And it deserved yeah. to win all the fucking Oscars. Thank you very much. Okay, so we've made our point. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I rest my case that one of the best movies ever made uh, ends with the ending that I think every ending yes. uh, of every movie should end with. So I'm just saying like, hey, I might I might be onto something there. You know, I'm just saying. I'm just you you I'm absolutely saying. are. And when when Furiosa arrives, because they the, the scene where there's a, this naked woman and uh, Max realizes it's a trap and yes. she yells, I, too, am one of the Vovolini. I was like, Danielle yes. probably held yeah. at yeah. this particular scene. And when you they talk about this lady utopia. I'm, this is the future that Danielle wants for us. And you know what? It really is. That is a future we should want for ourselves. Okay. Yeah, exactly. It's beautiful. I want, I want happiness. I want fairness. I want people to have the clean water that they need and the fair, mm-hmm. equitable society that they deserve. That's what I want. Mm-hmm. And that's what the motorcycle lesbians want. That's what they want. That's explicitly what they want. They wanted to rebuild and build together and plant seeds. Like that's good shit right there. Uh, so yeah, 
I might I might just be right. <laughs> you are. And even the, the little metaphor with the seeds and the bullets, uh, one of yeah, them mentions yeah. that Splendid used to say that the bullets were the anti-seed because you shoot it and it takes a life. And then you have, I'm just going to call them motorcycle lesbians forever, yeah, the yep. elder motorcycle lesbian with <laughs> all those seeds that she was holding on to. You're like, that's some symbolism shit, George Miller. Right, Good right on there. you. I love right it. There. I see you. It's beautiful symbolism and a beautiful movie. And I, I think we're going to go to shelf life now unless there's something yeah. else you wanted to discuss. No. Like you said, I feel like we could do like a the whole series, like a five-parter on this yeah. movie. But I feel like we really said what needed to be said again i'm gonna uh we're gonna share the links but i really recommend you all read this oral history because absolutely it's such good insight and it's very cool to hear from them i love the structure and the way like it's it's really well worth your while and it will probably give you uh a different appreciation for the movie i i want to read that and i'm definitely going to read this book too like i'm so in i'm a hundred percent in i need to uh, I need to get all of this because, yeah, I think this is a feat. It is a feat of filmmaking. Uh, and I, I don't think it's going to be any surprise. I'll read, you know, our usual text here, but I think I know what's going to happen in Shelf Life this Me week. Too. So welcome to Shelf Life, our next segment of the podcast. This is where we decide where the movie belongs in our video store. If it's a bona fide staff pick, where it's displayed proudly, if it's a middle aisle placement, or if the deuce needs the dumpster out back. Uh, I don't think there's any question here. I think this is the most staff pick ass staff pick we've ever had. (laughs) I don't think there's any way it wouldn't be on the staff pick show. (laughs) Dude, yesterday I was like, as I finished it again, I was like, there's... I was right there. I was like, there's no way we're not going to put this. If any yep. movie deserves, if the core. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> Again, if the core. <laughs> Lionheart, the, the core. Yeah. Well, all, all, all movies that have their charms uh, yes. and their quirks. And that are beautiful in their own little special yes. ways, uh, like snowflakes. But this is yes. absolutely the quintessential staff pick. Just such a little, <laughs> it's really honestly a perfect movie. I can't really yeah. nitpick on it. It's sentimental, but not in a cheesy way. It's got a message, uh, which kind of talked about in action movies, like when action movies are really cool. And when they're able to marry that with actual sort of content, like deeper content, it just, to me, it's my weak spot for sure. And I feel like it's both of our weak spots considering our sort of all time faves and the way that this movie does it with a strong, like female lead character uh, that doesn't need to resort to a romance for things to be, for her arc to be valid it's just, I don't I can't, I can't say a bad thing about it. It's a staff pick through and through. Yeah, it's, it's oh, truly incredible piece of filmmaking. I don't know how it happened. I'm glad that it did. Maybe this is proof that there's something good about the human race. 
Paul really nailed it here, our producer Paul, by saying Polaroid of Danielle and Fernanda doing the Predator <laughs> handshake next to it up there. And also, like, both the Predator handshake and also the the handshake that Furiosa and, and Max do here. They have that handshake. They have the, yeah, bro, handshake. Like, they actually have one. <laughs> yeah. So it's, like, absolutely perfect. Oh, my God. I, what too, a fucking would movie. give my blood to you, Danielle. If you, if you I mean, are it. you a universal donor? Uh, no, that's what I was going to add. Uh, I think oh, I might gotcha. kill you. I'm O positive. So <laughs> I'm A positive. So I don't, uh, I don't, that I don't would, know. That would not work out. You but I feel, like, kill me. <laughs> I feel like it's the thought that counts. It is. I'd be like holding you like, oh, if I could give you blood, I would. But I can't. So just yeah. give you positive reinforcement. Thank you. Fernanda, I would <laughs> I would heal your pneumothorax with a knife if I had to. Thank you. And you would because he does do that. He does do that in the movie. And it's like, you know how to do that? Okay. All right, bro. Listen, you learn things in the desert. Okay. You learn EMS in the desert. (laughs) In the post-apocalyptic society that requires you to survive on very little. You learn how to heal hemothorax. And maybe he just watched ER. They do talk about how people had programs before and I, I don't know. I'm just guessing. Maybe he is a he big learned, George he Clooney it. fan. <laughs> I love this. I love this. Like, he was like, you know, in the in the before times, he's just like watching ER, taking notes. He has like a little legal pad where he's just like taking notes. Like, oh, okay. You got to stab between the third and the fourth rib. Oh, okay. Feel for the, you got to feel for the uh, the crackling under the skin. Okay, boom. Uh, anyway, like, that's. <laughs> Max be just like a normal ass guy who binge watches shit. Well, eating yeah. like a hot pocket is a beautiful sight that I will cherish forever. It's truly, it's truly inspiring. We can all do emergency medical uh, technician shit. I just want to say that. Uh, I can do it. You can do it. We can all do it. And it's beautiful. Oh, well, dear friends, I'm so happy. I'm so glad we've watched one of the best movies ever fucking made. And uh, we liked it and we put it on our staff pick shelf. So that's that's what's going on here. So that's what we had for you this week. Uh, and thank you so much to my co-host for joining me. Thank you, Fernanda, for inspiring me all the time. And also, I now watch movies thinking about what you would think of them. So uh, thank same. you for that. Hard Because same. it's great. <laughs> you see? Oh, my God. Predator handshake once again. Yeah. <laughs> once again. Incredible. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, thank you all also at home for listening. Thank you to our producer, Paul Grand Furismo to my <laughs> excellent, good, good choice, Paul, uh, for all your help in making this show not only not suck, but also totally rule. So thank you. Uh, we do hope you come back to your friendly neighborhood video store next week, uh, where you can check the Discord, of course, at fanbyte.casa. And we're also going to be watching Nightcrawler. That's right. Snub month continues with Nightcrawler. Uh, we are also taking submissions for the month's last pick until the 16th. So you have time. If you want to actually email us at podcasts at fanbyte.com with the subject line YLTSI, that's just, you love to see it, but YLTSI with your pick for a very snubbed film and performance. Uh, so we are taking that feedback. We want to hear from you. So go ahead and email us. Uh, if you'd like to show us some support, you can do so by rating and reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast app you use. And of course, you know, we're still in the new year. We'd like to see some new reviews. Maybe we'd read some on the show. Just let us know. We just always want to hear from you. It goes a really long way in spreading the word about the show. And if you know any other movie buffs in your life, maybe slip a little note say hey there's this awesome movie podcast with these awesome people you love to see it 
Yeah, tell them, you know, tell them about us. We'd really appreciate that. And until then, you can join our movie club. Come by fanbite.casa and join the You Love to See It channel for all kinds of post-episode discussion, for the polls, for an ability to talk about movies you'd like to see. Just come on down. We'd love to hear from you. So come on by. You can also uh, watch all of our cool stuff, watch, listen, read, all, all sorts of media we've got here at fanbyte.com slash podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Fanbyte Media, on Instagram at Fanbyte, on TikTok at Fanbyte, and of course, on fanbyte.com. And you can watch all of our excellent streams on twitch.tv slash fanbyte. Fernanda, where can we find you online? You can find me on Twitter at NandaPrates underscore, that's N-A-N-D-A-P-R-A-T-S. And you can also find me on Instagram at NandaPrates without the underscore, where I'm always posting nihilistic memes and <laughs> stuff like that on my stories. So Excellent. if you're into that kind of stuff, it I'm your come jam. Come on down. Yeah. Come just on by. Very that. Just memes, selfies, my dog, the regular, <sighs> but like in a cool that's- way. That's good Instagram right there. That's what I. That's what I go to Instagram for. This is good shit. Absolutely. You can follow our producer Paul on Twitter at PolyMayo, and if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Danielle Ri. Everyone, thank you so very much for coming here, coming to our little deserts. Uh, you know, I want to say like our our little oasis in the desert, but I guess the Citadel. Well, the Citadel is an oasis now that the motorcycle lesbians took over. So yeah, this is our cool oasis. <laughs> Thanks y'all for listening. And until next time, you love to see it.